This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. You know, life has a real funny way of changing things on you real quick. You know, I, I sometimes look at the, the Proverbs and Psalms and I see the, the wicked in David's day or in Solomon's day. They, it, seemed to, it seemed to the righteous that they were just going on from strength to strength. And then God promises, I am going to cut this out. It's going to happen fast. It's going to be brutal if they don't turn their ways. And it's going to be real. But we also have this happening in our life right now. And over these last two and a half, three years, things have been changing so quick. And the pace of things seems to be getting faster. Some of us in this room who are maybe a bit spiritual with these things, we're looking out there and we're going, is this the finger of God on this nation and on this earth? I love it when God shakes things up. I love it when you talk to people and they're sort of thrown off center. Maybe some of us here today or listening in are here because God's really thrown us a curveball. And we're like, well, now I've got to get my house in order, as it were. I need to come and I need to get back under the word. I need to be walking faithfully with my God. And so for that sense, I love it. But at the other sense, I don't like being swept up in any kind of judgment or even just a hard time. And I got this imagery uh, for, from, these, from these poor worms. This is going to be a really weird story, but this is what God gave me. So, right, we've got, we've got a sloping block, and obviously the, the floods came really close to affecting the under part of our house. And you've got about, between us and the river, about 100 meters, and it just came right up. And as I say, 10 to 15 centimeters, and it would have gone over and, and been a bit of a mess for us, but not anything near what other people are struggling with at the moment. But what I noticed is on the slope, the rocks and the the ground, the grass there is a bit harder. It's a bit more rocky. And we know that worms live in there. And it's not a nice place because down lower is where it's really green, really lush, really soft, perfect, perfect environment for, for these worms. But as Jack and I were wading through the water the other day, I couldn't help but notice... One, two, ten worms. They, I don't know whether they, they need oxygen and so they've got to breathe and there's too much water. Philip is saying yes. Or whether their skin just can't be coated in, in water for such a long time. But it was a bit of a travesty because we've got not just, not just one, two, ten. We've got thousands of these things like living down in the lower parts here. And they're coming up and unfortunately they're not leeches or, or fish. They can't swim and they just come up and, and they're dead. And it's actually a bit horrifying. We sort of made our exit out of the water because there's a lot of death in here. But what it made me realize was this, is that for those worms that are up on the rocky slope, you know, life is quite a lot harder for them. But it made all the difference when the river came rushing in. When there's now no more second chances and they, as I said, should have had their house in order. And now they suffer the consequences of being in that, let's say, easier, nicer environment. Instead, the worms on the slope, they chose the harder road and it's paid off. And my message today is sort of going to come across a bit like that. 
is that you, Christian, have chosen the harder road. And if you haven't, I pray that you'll get on that road because that's where Christ called you. But before I can get into our text from Romans 8, I actually need to, to backpedal a bit, move into Matthew 10 and 11 to explain something because sometimes people have a bit of a disconnection between what it is to follow Christ and that there is a cost and that it is hard and there can almost be, and only a Christian, only someone with a spirit may understand this, is that there's, there's a paradox at play with the life that we have in Christ. And we're going to see that here in Matthew first, so then I can get to Romans and talk about what I want to talk about. So I know it sounds strange, but this was happening. So Matthew 10, 37 to 39 says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me, who's saying this? My mother, my grandfather. No, this is Jesus speaking to you. Anybody who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I'm going to love him more than I love my son and my daughter and my wife and my mother and my father. Then Jesus is talking about picking up a cross. And you could imagine the electricity that goes through the mind of these Jews as they think about they've, they've seen people. I've never seen anybody actually crucified. I've, I've seen movies about it. And there's sort of that disconnect there where I'm like, it's acting. Right? They've, they've walked past. You know, to get into towns, they would normally crucify even along the roads into towns just as a message to you that if you want to be a political dissident, this is the consequence. Crucifixion. And so you could imagine the bolt that went through these people as they're listening to Jesus' words and he says, you're going to pick that up and you're going to head to the outside of the, outside of the walls. You're going to love me more than anybody else and you're going to pick up a cross and you're going to come after me. And when you lose your life, you've found it. Now, I want to contrast that. And this is that paradox I was telling you about in the next chapter, chapter 11. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last time I checked, a cross is really, really heavy and it's not, it, there's no such thing as light. Burden is light, yoke is easy, doesn't exist. And these are in the chapters, side by side for a reason, for us to learn from them. There was a young Christian man, he was deep in prayer, deep in prayer. He desired to be a missionary, but his heart was restless. We know those that go overseas. This is, this is a few years ago, so it's not just a hop on a plane, go for a couple of weeks and come back. This is, I'm hopping on a boat for two months. And if I survive that, then I'm going to hop off the language that I've been learning. I'm going, to, I'm going to go preach to these people. I may see no fruit, but I'm going to do what God's called me to. 
And this is just to help explain the paradox that's going on in Matthew 10 and 11. You see, this kid only has, well, he's got two outcomes. Because, see, whenever we take something on, it means that we have to lose something. I remember when I married my wife, just a wonderful and glorious thing, I then had to say no from henceforth to any other relationship in in, in a similar way. So you see how I've gained something, but I've lost a whole lot. It was the same with this missionary. See, he's about to gain the call of God and be a missionary, but what's he going to lose? He's going to lose his home. He's going to lose his family. He's going to lose his friends. He's going to lose his safety. He may even lose his entertainment. And this is the life that Christ is calling us to. He says, hop on the boat, lose your old life, and come after me. Now, that's really hard when he's in the throes of prayer, travailing, Lord, please let me just give up this life that I have now and put me on that boat. I am weak, Lord. I am weak and small of faith, Lord, to to risk this adventure, to go out and serve you in such a way. But we understand that to do it, there will be great value. And once he's on the boat, he may miss home, but there's no turning back. He's committed. He's going. And this is what Christ is calling us to. You must forsake your life as you know it and come after him. Once you've done that, he can then say, you empowered now by the spirit. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. We may not be called to North Africa or Kazakhstan. But in joining Christ, we have weighed all things, even our own lives, and found that the pursuit of Christ is more precious and prized to us. Praise God. Praise God. Maybe some of you in this room are still weighing the cost of following Christ. Maybe there's things you don't want to let go of though you're trying to pursue Christ. But let us join in joyful song with the apostle and sing, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hallelujah. And this is the point that I'm building into Romans 8 for us for, because if we don't get this paradox that you have to lose everything, but you gain Christ, and that's when it's easy. That's when you're empowered by the Spirit. That's when Christ can say in one breath, this is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. But when you do, you have me and I'm beside you. I'm with you through this to the end. And so let us prepare for this season ahead. I don't think things are going to get easier in the world. That's just my feeling. I'm no prophet, but I see things maybe going from bad to worse. Be it inflation, be it war, be it another virus. Who knows what's in store? But as people of God, this is the time that we need to be preparing our hearts. How foolish is the lazy ant? And then winter comes or famine comes. 
Let us, let us be diligent in our seeking of God while he can be found. While the, while the times are bountiful, let us come deep into, into our relationship with God so that when times are scarce, we have enough there. We have enough oil, as it were, in the lamp. And so the two points I want to make from Romans 8 today is this. The high cost of following Christ and the sufferings of the curse of this creation, because we still have some things that are going to bring us down, are going to hurt us. There's people even here who are affected by everything that's gone on in the world. But I want to quickly read for us Romans 8, 14 to 23. If you, want to, if you need a moment to get there, it's Romans 8, 14 to 23. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I'm going to keep going, but I hope you understand a bit more of sharing in his sufferings after what I just explained about taking hold of Christ. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. I want to start by the first four declarations of the Spirit that we see here in this text. There are, first, there are four promises and declarations over your life if you today believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 14 and a part of 15 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. What does that mean? What is the Spirit giving us here? Well, God's Spirit declares freedom to your eternal soul. This is the first point Paul wants to make. He's labored in sin and the depravity of man through chapters 1 to 3. And now we're getting through Jesus and his justifying power, his death and resurrection that saves us. And now we're getting to the meat of it. What do I get now that I've chosen to follow your Jesus, Paul? Will you have freedom for your eternal soul is the first point he wants to make here. You're no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to be given over to the old way where there was 
no, little to no consideration for God, but now you can live in a newness of power because of what the Holy Spirit gives you. So we don't say that a Christian is a slave to sin anymore. Yes, we can be afflicted. Yes, we can, we can backslide for a time and, and, and we don't use that as an excuse. But there are times of struggle and hardship. But the main thing is, Sin don't reign over us anymore. Satan doesn't have hold of us the way that he did before because we are liberated by the powerful working of the Spirit of God in us. But also this, we don't have fear like we used to as well. The Bible tends to suggest unless your conscience is so severely seared that you just blot it out of your mind that every man and woman knows God's character, His eternal attributes. They know the sin in their life and they know their need for a Savior and yet they suppress it. And I was one of these. You know when you can just put something out of your mind? Maybe we just do this for jobs. You know, like you've got a job to do and you think, I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. And it never happens. Well, this is the life of someone who is in their sin. Truthfully, we know from the Word they love their sin. Or they think to themselves, I'll get right by smearing more sin into the picture, by trying to work my way into a relationship with God. Trying to make God their debtor because of the good works that they've done. And Paul's previously said that you're not going to get to God through your works. It's only through His grace. It's only found in Jesus. And so for that, the Christian is not only set free from sin, but we don't have the fear that comes with knowing that judgment is on its way, that God is going to reconcile all things. I love it when people try and tell me that, oh, I've got no purpose, life's an accident. I was like, you don't don't live like that. Even that we're having a discourse shows me that you care for speech, you care to dress, you care to articulate yourself. You know, and I'm here to lovingly tell you the gospel So that's the first one. God's Spirit declares freedom to our eternal soul. No longer slaves. No longer in fear of God's judgment. But the second is this. The Spirit also declares adoption into God's family. And we see this at the conclusion of verse 15. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. If you're a girl, it's daughtership, I believe. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. I could spend months on that topic. You are adopted by God as his child. That is an incredible claim. That is an incredible blessing that Christ purchased for you. But notice it says it's brought about your adoption. You've got to think carefully on that. It's brought about. The spirit you received brought about your adoption. That's very powerful words. Because this world can often tell me that there's some shaky ground there that maybe God may not accept me on the day of judgment. That that when I meet him and he looks at my life, I know There are things I will make an account for. I have not lived a life holy and pleasing to God. 
And I've got a sneaking suspicion that there are many of us in this room who have done, not led that life either. But it says that you have been, it's, uh, you received, uh, the spirit you received brought about your adoption. You're already adopted. You don't need to fear that maybe God might change his mind on, on you as he's looking at you from his throne. Maybe the arms won't be open and, and the kingdom of God open to you, but instead there's going to be judgment there. And I want to say to you, if you're struggling with your faith and you really, you, you, you don't get it or you're not sure what God is going to say on that great day, I want to say to you this, you need to understand what the word justification actually means. Justification means that Jesus has taken all of your sin. Many great men have said he has taken past sin. He has taken the present sin that you have today. But if you're adopted into God's family and that's now, then he needed to have taken your future sin as well. I remember meeting a Roman Catholic and they said to me, well, I need to get on my knees each day, each night, because if I forget a sin and I, I don't say sorry for that, then obviously I'm going to have to pay for that either in purgatory or I'm going to hell. Does that sound like a, like a spirit of fear to you? It does to me. What a horrible relationship. How would you feel of a God who, who it's on you if you don't measure up, if you forget one thing as I comb through your life, you're gone. Whereas Paul has said that you are currently adopted. You are currently a child of God because of your faith in Jesus. And if you understand this word justification, you can throw that back into the face of any accusation. And you can say, yes, I'm guilty. Yes, I've done wrong, but because of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, I am set free. It is as if I have done nothing wrong because all that I have done has been paid for at Calvary. Jesus declared from his mouth, it is finished. And Jesus doesn't lie. It's not in. It's not in and out. It's not up and down, but you have a relationship with God that is steady, stable, and steadfast. And I'm glad it doesn't depend on me because I'm a bit emotional at times. I can, I can be up and down. I can be rocky. I can be having a bad day, good day in between. But our relationship doesn't depend on us, does it? It depends on the promises of God and your faith in Jesus. And so the second is this, that yes, God's spirit declares a current adoption into God's family. A justification as if you have done nothing wrong. It boggles me. You're going to be declared righteous on the day of judgment. God's going to say over you, righteous. And I'm going to be going like this. But for the blood of Jesus. <laughs> the third declaration. God's spirit declares of the one true and living God that he is your father. See, to me, it's not enough just to be adopted in. That could mean anything. I could be adopted into a pretty bad family and life will be pretty bad for me. Maybe I'd rather be out on the street than adopted. But we know these, these most sensational words that are used here. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, we could spend so much time on this. 
maybe, maybe we should spend a bit of time in our, in our own time declaring what the Spirit declares. I am a child of God. How incredible is that? I, I'm adopted into his family. You have everything right. Oh, sorry. You have every right. This is, the, this is the incredible part for me. You have every right and without shame because of your justification. And I think the without shame is the big part. I think if we get that, we're actually going to go into a, a, a greater depth in our love for God and in our relationship with Him. You have every right and without shame to be God's child. Christ himself goes as far as to say these words in Matthew 23, 9 and 10. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. You don't have any popes here. You have one Jesus. You don't have any fathers that are head over you and that, that, you know, you need to have submission there or here or call anybody papa or anything like this. You have one father in heaven, ultimately. doesn't mean we just stop, stop calling our father, father, but we sort of get the emphasis that you truly, truly are children of God. And Jesus is making that very, very clear to us. And let's get to the fourth point. God's Spirit declares a share of the royal inheritance if we endure the cost of following after Jesus. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Now, that's why I needed to start out in Matthew, because some people get there and it just sort of it throws them a bit. <clears throat> we don't want to go from all this freedom and justification and then throw ourselves back under the law or, or somehow needing to work for that which God has given freely, work for our place in heaven. <clears throat> what are we saying here? <clears throat> we are saying that there is, you are an heir, there is an adoption, not just an adoption, but there is, there is a richness in this adoption that Christ has not just purchased for you the salvation of your soul, but he's purchased for you a father. He's purchased for you life eternal. He's purchased you a place in heaven, not of small means, but of great means. He has gifted this church this day with people like you to serve and upbuild one another in whatever gifting God has given you. It's non-stop, the amount of blessing that we have in Christ. But Paul wants to make it very clear. That's if you're going to follow after him. That's if you're going to endure the grit that may come with following after him. You see, we see from Matthew 24 that the days ahead are going to be incredibly hard, that some of you may be handed over by former Christians into the hands of tyranny. That there will be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. 
And as I started off by saying, let this be the time that we nourish ourselves in the word, that we build our love for God and the inheritance that is ours currently, so that when that time comes, whatever ruin Satan might have in the future for you, you can grip tight to the word of God and know that his promises are steadfast and it doesn't matter how your day is going. It doesn't matter how you feel about the situation because you don't peg your life on your feelings anymore, but you live by the word of God. You are that one who has built their house on stone and it's immovable. And when the waters of judgment rise, when the waters of of hard times rise, you know that your feet are planted firmly because you have established your life on the word of God. And so this is why we need to understand what the Spirit has declared over us. But let's say we we endure in the sufferings that will come with following Jesus. And I dare say some of the sufferings that have occurred in this place and the choices you've had to make already in your life that have caused you pain and still you're here. Still you're faithful. You didn't take the easy road. You didn't take the broad road that leads to destruction. But you're here because there's something you see in Christ that others around you may not see. You see the eternal worth in holding to him and you're clinging to it. Praise God for you. Galatians 6.14 echoes your heart if you are one of these. And he says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sear this into your mind. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Everything is lost to gain Christ. I will give everything up. My life is second to knowing and being in relationship with Christ. And that is the first pain of following Christ. It's going to cost you and it may already be costing you now. Even of this suffering and whatever may come, Paul says, take it from me, it's worth it. That's what he's about to say to us here. Here's the declarations that the Spirit has over you. This is what you have in Christ. Now I want to tell you it's worth it. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us, revealed in us. In us. The glory will be revealed in us. We will go from rags to riches in the blink of an eye. An orphan to, pr- to a prince or princess, a widow to betrothed, cast out in the cold to being seated by the warm fire. That may be the cost for you, a hard, grueling, rags life. But Paul assures us it ends in riches for us. And not just the riches of this world, that can sound quite superficial, but the love the explosive love that will be in us for all eternity for God and each other will be permeated throughout all of creation and you, brother and sister, will take part in that great assembly and you will be called the temple of God. God didn't want bricks and mortar and roofs and shingles and all the things that, are, that come of a house. He wanted you to surround him. That's his temple. 
He didn't want to take a throne and rule over us as a tyrant would rule over his peasants, but he wanted you to join him on his throne. Praise God. The second pain of following Christ. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. And this is, as I said, the second pain that we will endure as Christians on this earth. We can see through the, the frustration of this world, the bondage and decay, the pains of childbirth. You know, where, where, where do you think Paul's mind's going when he's saying these things? He's going right back to Genesis 3 when God is pouring down the curses Adam has fallen and sinned. And God, I guess, gives us a great picture here of how seriously he takes sin. Do not do this. The snake says, do this. They do this. And then God throws the whole world into a spin. The weeds will grow up fast. This frustration in the world, this decay in the world that began at that moment. And also the curse of the, the pain that comes through childbearing. And what else entered at that time? Sin and death as a result of our sin. We've all taken part. We're all part of that old system until we came to Christ. But because of that, this will be the second, I guess, woe for us. Yes, it will be hard to follow Christ, but second, the world is falling apart. And why is God allowing this to happen? I love this. It's not by the world's choice, Paul says. The world didn't decide this, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. In hope. Even the breakdown of this world is done by God. He subjected it to these curses in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay. You imagine if God just let things go on. I won't take their life. I'll let them live for eternity in their sin. No. God has said, well, he's too holy to do that, first of all. He's not going to allow that. But even the suffering, brother and sister, that you are going through now is for a purpose. But it is a suffering in and of itself. It's something that you must endure. You'll get it from following Christ, but you'll also just cop it from this world. Like I said, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, whatever it is, people handing you over to the authorities because of you deciding to follow Christ, your own, your own family rejecting you because of you following Christ. I was talking to a Pakistani pastor the other day, and can you imagine in his churches the amount that these people have to put up with? They don't just, they don't just, lose, they don't just lose a few friends. They lose their entire family in this Muslim-majority country. I've got a personal friend of mine on the Gold Coast, nearly lost his family because of this same problem. It's pervasive and it's painful. But again, it's all worth it 
for the pursuit of having Christ. Not pursuing as though you might not get, but you have him now because you are adopted now and the Spirit has declared over you now your justification. You're already forgiven. As our Lord warned us of this also, he commands us to stand firm. I'll just read a little bit from Matthew 24. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's why you're here. That's why I have a burden to want to share with you today. Because the love of many is going to grow cold. The pursuit of riches are going to be bearing on you. The pursuit of the easy life is going to be bearing on you. But Christ has given you people to shepherd you. We too groan. We know what's coming. It says here that our our own soul groans for this coming of Christ, this finality when we are in the presence of God and we're done away with this, this age. Paul said, like, the only reason I'm here, I'd rather be with Christ, but the only reason I'm here is because of you, serving you. I said that to Jack once. He goes, I was talking about just how wonderful heaven will be, and and I love talking about how wonderful heaven would be. And he goes, Daddy, why don't we just go there now? I said, that's a very good question. I said, well, because of you, son. God's given us a responsibility. I said, Emma, God gave me a responsibility to ensure that you follow Christ, to give you every necessary opportunity to receive Jesus, that when you stand before God, you won't say, well, it was because of my dad that I didn't hear about Jesus, or it's because some stumbling block I put in his, in his way. But not only that, I've got, I've got other people as well. You have other people in your life as well. The reason we're here and the reason we're, we long to be with Christ, but the reason we hold off is because we've got work to do. Don't get lost in the world. Don't get lost in the pursuits of this world. We have work to do. And we know what comes of this world. 2 Peter 10 says this. 2 Peter verse 10, chapter 3. That the, that, the Lord, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Doesn't that almost make you feel a little bit silly for trying to pursue too much in this life? We've got the glories of Christ to look forward to and everything you do that's outside of that work for Christ is going to be consumed anyway. I see the statues of those people who, who try and, uh, I, guess, I guess, imprint themselves on society for an eternity. And the only thing that matters to these people who are long dead is were you in Christ or did you not have Christ? The other question, if you're in Christ, is did you serve him? Did you neglect the world and go after him in greater measure with the faith that God has given you? Not only so, moving back to Romans, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit 
as I said before, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, the, uh, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I just have to stop there. You remember I already said that you are adopted, and I sort of labored on that for a bit. And then we come here, and it says, hang on, we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship? What's Paul's point here? Well, justification is a written, like in the, in, the, in the term that it was used, it's a written declaration or promise of, of, of a, I guess, a Roman official to another or a, or a Jew to another Jew or something of this measure. You write this declaration and you say, or the, the judge goes, justified, you've done nothing wrong. That we have. But what's the adoption that Paul has in mind here? The redemption of our bodies the time when we can be there in the presence of God with our bodies. That's what we're waiting for. Spiritually and before God's throne, we are forgiven and set free. We are children and heirs of God. We call God Abba, Father, and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from this relationship, but still, we wait for the final part of our adoption, the final sealing of what it is we're looking forward to, and that is this, the world is done away with, death and sin are done away with, and we receive a body just like Christ's, and we dwell in his presence for all eternity. I wanted to put it like this to give a, to give maybe an analogy of what it is for a Christian who is just bent on serving God and, 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 is, and just try and give us a, a greater sense of the zeal that is potentially possible for us if we, if we truly dig deep into this. I thought of a man who's on death row and he's being led down the hall. And at the end of that hall, he knows what's coming. Now, if that was you, does your next meal matter? No. Do the political problems in this world matter? Does the virus matter? Does it, does it matter you, you forgot to get back to your friend? You, you didn't give them that last text? Well, it's too late now. There's no other opportunity. There's nothing left to do but to go and do what you were called to do. And God calls us to put a death sentence on our old life, on the life we used to lead, and head towards him. Don't get wrapped up in this world. Satan would love that, wouldn't he? Christians not doing what we're meant to be doing, serving Christ, serving each other, loving God, loving each other, but instead just get you all bundled up in the pursuits and cares of this world. But imagine yourself walking down that hall and thinking none of it really, really matters. Obviously, there are some things in our life that do matter. I've got to make sure my son's fed. That, that falls into the category of love thy neighbor. But what I'm saying is, are there things in your life that you've sort, of, you've sort of taken a departure from that walk? And what I want to say to you is, get back on track. Get back on track, and Jesus promises it'll be light and it'll be easy. We are people who have hopes and dreams and all sorts of wonderful things, but... Let's keep the focus where it needs to be, on our service to Christ. As I stated, the Spirit declares four things, freedom, adoption, relationship, and inheritance. 
There will be two hardships that you will face in your life, and that is the cost of following Christ. And the second is just the, the suffering of this created order, and God has a purpose in it. You may have suffering in yourself, in your own body that's falling apart like mine, but there is purpose there. God's not doing anything for no reason. He doesn't operate like that. He can't. He's not like me. He's not like you. What then is the point of the new creation in us? What should our response be to this world? It's going to be so easy. In light of everything that we have said and the adoption that you have in God, that you get to call God Abba Father, as I said, that you are signed, sealed, and delivered we should be making busy preparations for the return of the king. Busy preparations for the return of the king. Either we could be preaching the gospel, announcing the declaration that we already have in Christ. That's a, that's a powerful thing to do. But there's another thing you can do also. Not everybody's, not everybody's called to preach the gospel in the same capacity. But you can adorn the gospel. Has anybody heard of this before? Adorning the gospel. So these, are the, these, are the, these are the two focuses that we can really dig deep into, see this world transformed. So preaching the gospel is pretty obvious. I can go up to somebody and I can, I can lovingly and kindly say to them that they fall short of the glory of God, that they have sinned. But I also must say that Christ died for sin according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he rose again on the third day. With that knowledge, we can say that a thousand different ways, but with that knowledge, you have, you have given them the power of God unto salvation. That's preaching the gospel. It's pretty easy when we just boil it down to its most core form. Jesus died for sin. He, he, he rose, oh, Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again for sin. But adorning the gospel is something different. You know, when you, I, can, I can put some pretty shabby, normal clothes on, or maybe if I was a king, you put your undergarments on, and then you start throwing robes over the top. You put gold on the thing. You, you know, got crown on all of these things. That's, that's what adorning the gospel is. So it would be pretty rough of me to walk up to, to someone who's poor and beat up, thrown down onto the street, and, and just whisper into their ear the gospel and say, have a good day, be warm, be fed, and off I go. No, we are a people of love. The gospel has so transformed us that we are filled with the love of God, and we want to express that to people. And so your gift may be, well, I, I believe we all should be proclaiming the gospel to some extent, but the, the second portion of the life that we could lead for Christ is making him look absolutely amazing in the eyes of others. Maybe a kind word, maybe feeding the poor, meeting the widow and the orphan in their affliction. Whatever it is, bringing the neighbor a, a meal could be anything. Message an old friend, spark a conversation with the intention to preach to them the gospel even. But just show kindness and love. There's no, there's no strings attached. It doesn't matter whether they, where they go with that information, with that powerful gospel. We leave that between them and God. Endure because it's not in vain. I hope by the Spirit's empowerment, you are compelled to leave off any partnership with this world. To instead live holy, godly lives as we see in 2 Peter 3. 
as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Let's pray.